podcast where we're building a thriving business community based on generous leadership and authentic connections. On this episode, we're interviewing somebody who's an entrepreneur turned entrepreneur. He's a chocolatier. He's an avid cyclist and CEO of an early stage company called Perrin. He's husband to his beautiful wife, Susan, who is director of coaching, coach training at Perrin. Welcome to the show, Michael Simpson. Thanks. It's good to be here. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. My pleasure. And uh, I brought my uh, team member, Matt Wiest, with me. He's going to be, uh, we're going to be kind of uh, co-interviewing you, if that's all right. That's all right. It's easy. They should both have the same name. So The massive calm commercial. Yeah. That's right. So let's, uh, let's kick right in. Uh, Michael, other than what Matt just described to you, are there any other charitable uh, organizations or groups that you want to talk about that you're a part of? Well, I work with a lot of different organizations. I'm, I'm the co-chair for the Denver Metro Tech Partnership, one of the state sector partnerships where we strive to connect uh, tech companies with services uh, that are preparing future workforce. And so we're kind of driving those relationships uh, in the city of Denver. I'm on the advisory board for Colorado Succeeds, which focuses on uh, advancing education to really prepare people for work and also address the talent crisis. I have a lot of concerns about the future and talent as somebody who is in that business and is hiring. So I work with a lot of organizations like that. A um, bunch of national projects like the Connecting Credentials Working Group and trying to change policy in the country and in the state related to workforce and education. Very nice. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of, uh, I mean, we're going to hear more about Perrin here, but it sounds like a lot of what you're up to is all about mentorship and education, which is cool. Yeah, we are very concerned about um, people receiving the resources they need to be able to overcome their past, reach their potential. It's, it's, It's my story. It's a lot of people's story. We don't hear those stories a lot. We pretty much just hear the big success stories or the the college dropouts that dropped out of Harvard, which are not usually the, and then created Microsoft or something to that effect, uh, or Facebook. Uh, and those aren't really the stories of the real world. I think that's a, a good opportunity for us to kind of touch on how Parent came to be and maybe touch on your, your past experiences and, and dive into that, if you don't mind talking about that. Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite things to talk about is... Uh, <laughs> It's, I've, I've given my whole life to that. Uh, I'm in a, a, I guess, a position now in my life where I feel like everything from my past uh, personal life and my career and my, my vocation and avocation have all converged into uh, a single thing. My wife and I were talking last night uh, that this is like the best of times, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing to be able to say. Um, because we feel so fulfilled in, in all that we do. And one of the main reasons is because uh, my, my background uh, was um, 
was a difficult one. Uh, I grew up in a, a troubled family, a father with PTSD, multiple divorces, um, abuse in my home. Uh, there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, drug abuse. Uh, there were addictions. And there was, it was just a very broken, troubled place. And, um, and so I ended up dropping out of college after, community college after two months and going on the road with a band and traveled for a year, came back and found that my parents had sold their home and moved. Um, wow. So, you know, you get dropped off in front of your house and there's a lockbox and the bank had taken the house and we had, uh, you know, I had to call my home phone to find out where my parents were living um, who were no longer together. And and so that, that was kind of my background. I had to scrap my way into the computer industry and and then, you know, grew up into, uh, you know, being an executive at the fifth largest software company in the world. And, and it really came through people helping me develop the skills that really mattered and helping me understand that I didn't have to pretend that I was something that I wasn't. And, yeah. Was there any anything about your the past you just described that um, had you be a certain way to get to where you are now? Was there any kind of pivotal thing that, or how did it have you start acting in the world? Uh, well, at first, I was a horribly angry man, okay. uh, young man, and uh, had decided that I was going to be successful at all costs, and that I would, um, I don't care who I hurt along the way. Yeah. And then, and then I met my wife, and my wife, um, you know, help me go through a process uh, long before she was my wife uh, of really reevaluating what it meant to be successful and what was the definition of success. And and I had some very deep internal changes that happened, and then I realized that me being a man of character was the success that I would pursue and that making a positive impact on other people's lives rather than just trying to make a positive impact on my own. And wow. uh, that was a, a really pivotal moment. I mean, there was, there was you know, emotional change, there was spiritual change, there was physical change in me, actually, I believe. And, and, and my life was forever different from that day forward. Um, and then I still didn't marry my wife for 10 years. I mean, she wouldn't date me. She still was concerned that that evil man would come back. And so she kept me at arm's length for a while. But uh, eventually I convinced her to, to date me and then we got married. And uh, But I had to fly to Russia to do it. Uh, not that she's a Russian mail order bride. Now there's anything wrong with that. But <laughs> she's from Kansas, but she happened to be living in Russia and then I ended up moving there. So um, parent is kind of the culmination of a lot of these types of experiences. Um, you know, I worked in software companies, big ones, fast-growing mid-sized companies, and uh, started a couple companies. And then in, in Russia, I spent seven years coaching um, young adults, you know, folks in their early 20s to be successful business people. Most of them were adult children of alcoholics. They grew up in troubled environments in and, and Russia, I mean, which is trouble enough uh, for most people. Her vodka is pretty popular over there. <laughs> She's kind of popular all over in the East. So, <laughs> for good reason, I think. Uh, so, yeah, so I ended up... Uh, uh, working there and ran into the science that our company is based on. Russia changed the visa laws and made it difficult for us to stay there full time. And 
uh, bought a cabin up in the mountains. Uh, my wife and I lost a couple of pregnancies uh, two years in a row, and so we just took nine months off to see if we could do something about that. And then uh, that didn't work out, but uh, we did get a vision during that sabbatical. We were mentored by nine amazing people uh, during that time and really came to the conclusions that of what we were created to be individually and together. And then Perrin came out of that. And tell us a little bit more about Perrin. You touched on the science mm-hmm. behind it that you learned about in Russia. And let's talk a little bit more about the company. Yeah, sure. So, so Perrin uses behavioral science to personalize career exploration, you know, helping people discover their future. Um, it also personalizes professional development. So we have, we have uh, the most comprehensive online soft skills curriculum and also a classroom curriculum for schools. Um, and we have like 300,000 words of coaching tips and insights um, that are audience-specific. And then we also personalize hiring. So we help companies switch to a competency-based hiring model. Uh, a lot of our customers, after using our product for a year, will completely abandon education and experience requirements as, a, as an exclusion criteria. And they tend to use parent as an inclusion criteria. And what's, what's one of the things I'm most proud of is the organizations that fully commit to our product without trying will increase their ethnic diversity two and a half times in a year uh, very often without trying, without an affirmative action plan. Um, we're a tech company that's 50% female without trying to be 50% female. It's, it's amazing that when you hire based on people's abilities, the people that you hire tend to match the demographics of the place where you live. Um, how <laughs> remarkable is that? Yeah, amazing, right? Well, that's very cool that you guys have built a tool uh, that helps companies do just that. And that, uh, you know, not that that is what they're striving to do, but that's the result. Uh, yeah, I, it, we believe that people should be hired for their abilities rather than their histories. Yeah. Wow. And so um, just to give, it, give us some, uh, some examples of, if you can, uh, maybe if you can't mention names, that's fine, but maybe some descriptions of some of who, who are some of your customers, your clients in this space. Yeah, it's just, that's kind of an interesting thing. So about 50% of our business comes from uh, education and workforce programs. So programs like Jeffco School District, New York City Department of Ed, uh, CSU Global, uh, University of Arizona, and then programs like Hope House for Teen Moms, which is one of my favorite programs. Uh, my wife was adopted. My sister was adopted. My wife's brother was adopted. Um, I have a really soft spot in my heart for, for teen moms who um, make that commitment and, and uh, follow through with it. And um, then we work with um, Activate Workforce Solutions, Goodwill, the largest Goodwill in the nation. Is a, uh, Goodwill Southeastern Wisconsin is a customer of ours. Wow. Um, uh, then on the business side, we have customers everywhere from uh, Northrop Grumman to um, uh, Ziggy's Coffee. <laughs> so a lot of different, Very different uh, pieces around that. Yeah, yeah so what, the thing is everybody um, has behaviors, right? I mean, every single company has employees. Mm-hmm. Every person that they employ um, has certain types of behaviors that will make them succeed or make them fail in different levels. 
And what we do is we help identify those uh, the success criteria and help you understand when someone has exceptionalism that you may not know about um, that your team may need. And also where people have gaps. So you can hire with your eyes wide open and say, when we hire this person, we need to work on developing them in these areas. And they need to be open to that development. So Right. That's an important piece. It's, sure. it's an important piece. Yeah. And so we're actually the only behavioral science out there that measures where people want to develop. So we, we very often have heard customers and even we have done this when you're down to the two final candidates and just about everything's the same but you have one candidate that wants to move closer to the target closer to you know what we believe are the success criteria um, and the other one either wants to stay the same or move away we hire the one that might have less skills that might have less experience because we know that in a shorter amount of time uh, it's kind of we we use the term judo coaching. If somebody's already moving in a particular direction, you put a little bit of energy into that, and you're going to get a, a much quicker result. And you've mm-hmm. kind of touched on this, and we're talking about coaching. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say coaching a couple of times. So tell us a little bit more about your philosophy around coaching versus leadership versus mentorship, if, if you don't mind touching on that. Yeah, I, I can't say it's necessarily mine per se, but coaching is a very different thing than, you know, Counseling focuses on your past and trying to understand your past and how it impacts your, your present. Um, mentoring is really more about the mentor than it is about the mentee. It's like, let me tell you what to do based on my experience. Mm. Teaching is, let me tell you about something. Right? Um, coaching is really the only situation where you put that person completely in charge. When I sit down for a coaching session, I probably do five or six a week with with uh, staff members here. I say, so what's on your agenda for our meeting? They get to uh, yeah, create the yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a friend of mine actually has this. Uh, he, he said he first learned about this when he was learning how to fly, and he was doing a checkout flight, and his instructor was sitting in the co-pilot seat. And he just sat there and didn't say anything. And he's like, well, what should I do? What do you want to do? Well, I want to fly. Okay. <laughs> so what, what kind of tools can I provide is yeah. what you're getting at. So from a coaching perspective, it is you lay me as the employee, I lay the, the groundwork, and you say, what can I help you with? How can I help you get from X? I'll help you define those goals, yeah. right? So, But you have to own those goals. Yeah. Uh, okay. You need to identify what the barriers are for you accomplishing those goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, what help you need. Uh, you need to ask for that help. Um, you need to do the analysis of that. I'll help you process it. But a good coaching conversation should be about 10% of the coach speaking and about 90% of the other person speaking. Yeah. Um, and the key to doing that is to become a master question asker. And that's one of the things that we do here in the office is constantly, constantly teach people to live in a state of curiosity. Uh, it's one of our five values of our company is to remain curious. And you would be amazed at how much easier things become when... Uh, people with good intuition don't use it too much. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's also cool that um, I think generally everyone agrees that if somebody has skin in the game, they're going to, if they have ownership in, the, mm-hmm. in a process, uh, they're going to be, have more desire to have that process win. 
and the structure of your coaching uh, allows them to create you know that whole process yeah. for themselves for sure which is I, I think that's it we, we believe in the coach approach to leadership uh, and there's there's one way to lead which is telling people what to do uh, and there's another way to lead which is uh, helping people identify the most pertinent goals uh, for them and the organization and then helping get everything out of the way for them to be able to accomplish those goals and give them the tools to be able to get there um, and you know my my favorite definition of a leader really encapsulates this is by Brene Brown in the book Dare to Lead. I yeah. love Brene Brown. Probably half our office has read Brene Brown's books. So She's amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, that quote is, uh, a leader is anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and has the courage to develop that potential. Wow. I think that is... Of all the leadership books that I've read in 30-something years, uh, that is the m- m- definition of leadership that I must resonate with, and I want everyone in my organization to uh, exemplify. The leaders you're developing, right? Yeah, everybody here. Very is, cool. is, we, we have a mutual uh, responsibility for professional development. Uh, I probably freaked out a new employee uh, yesterday, and I said, do you have a responsibility to develop me? Because no, you're the CEO, I said we don't have a hierarchical trickle down kind of development. I don't go to your boss and say you need to help him change in this way. I have a conversation with you, and I do something that you think um, I would be better served, or the organization would be better served if I did differently, or if I responded differently in situations. You personally have a responsibility to talk to me about that. Um, this is bidirectional. It's matrixed. It's not hierarchical in any way. Yeah. And as long as we can continue to do that, we will. Nice. People don't believe it. It, take, it freaks them out a little while. And then the, even interns. We tell interns that you have a responsibility to share your ideas. And uh, your only failure would be not doing that and to share your observations. And they don't believe us. And then about a month later, they're like, you people actually live this stuff. And, <laughs> and then we like unleash them. And uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. The next time we do an internship thing, we have like five times the applicants from the same organization just because they go back and talk about it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely not the norm no. uh, out there. <laughs> no. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, this is actually a perfect segue, the, the non-hierarchical... Uh, uh, you know, way of you guys operate. Uh, talk about the titles that you guys have. If we can jump into that, yeah, I think that's a very it. interesting topic yeah. about your company or what you guys have on the business cards. Well, one of our one of our values of our company. We have five values. Uh, one is value the whole person. The other one is remain curious. The third one is choose growth over comfort. The fourth one is own our outcomes. And the fifth one is bird dog joy, and I can explain that later. But the the first one is really kind of the important thing: is value the whole person. We recognize that every single person that works here is is more than just their job title. There's something else about them that they think is valuable. And when you actually learn about them, you are kind of amazed. And we so we put two titles on every single business card. One is the title for your actual job so that people will know what you do. And the other one is, how would you like to describe yourself in a title? Um, and um, 
we have lots of different things, but it, it never fails that whenever you pass that card out, the, you immediately engage in a conversation about the second title that has nothing to do with your job whatsoever, but it's more about you as a person. And, and I think we're actually now carrying our values out. Mine is Master Chocolatier. And in that nine-month uh, sabbatical that we took, one of the things that we were instructed to do was to learn something that is completely unrelated to your job. It's kind of clear your mind, get you focused on other things. And and so I became a chocolatier. took a course, started to do this. Then friends started to like it. Next thing you know, we had a business because they wanted us to do something down at Glenary Castle over Valentine's years ago. And and I at the end of it, I said, honey, we spent more money than we made, so we actually now have to do enough of this chocolate business to... Um, now pay for what we had to do to get this job and so next thing you know we get invited to um exhibit at the broadmoor holiday chocolate festival and um the name of the company was uh the chocolate bordello and it's um the whole concept is very much close to this company is that you can't judge a truffle or a person by what what you see on the outside (laughs) um acceptance comes before understanding so, you know, people look at a piece of chocolate and they go, oh, I don't like that kind. And we're like, just try it. Mm. And then they taste it and they, they're like, well, I didn't think I liked milk chocolate, but I like this. Or I didn't think I liked dark chocolate, but I like this. And so, yeah, we did that. And we won the People's Choice by a 3-1 margin over the Broadmoor Holiday Chocolate Festival. Wow. The chocolate, uh, the pastry chefs at, at the Broadmoor. And... Then we went back the next year, and we won by a five-to-one margin. And the next year, they said, we just stopped counting. And so <laughs> then we... You're dominating the chocolate industry. Then we started to get invited to all of these different types of events. And we would win the, the, the Indulgence Festival down in Colorado Springs said that they created a new category called Best in Show because we won too many of them so that other people could win. And so I, I was like, I guess we have something here. Then Vail Resort started carrying them and a Ridge Street Winery and Brett Cheese and Chocolate started carrying them. And, and the, I think the thing that's very interesting is that we, we, we think very deeply about um, you know things that we do. And we said, well... My wife would do research, Susan would do research on all these, uh, the shady ladies from the Colorado Mining Times. And there's lots of books written about them, and she's actually interviewed people. And, and um, we started to understand that a lot of these stories, people judge them by the choices that they made. Um, but you had women that would have, you know, eight children, and they would lose their husband in a mining accident. And they can make 50 cents a day ironing shirts for 10 hours. Or they could lose their children to an orphanage. Um, or they could sell their um, self-respect and give that up uh, to keep their children. And who am I to judge in that situation? Uh, a lot of these folks changed their lives uh, uh, cockeyed Liz in Buena Vista. The house is still standing right downtown. Uh, it's derelict right now, but uh, she got married to uh, a plumber named uh, Fuzzy, um, Alfonso Fuzzy Enderlin, mm-hmm. and um, turned her house of ill repute into an orphanage and took in took in wayward children. 
Um, so a lot of these folks have these amazing stories. A lot of them are tragic as well. Um, but we wanted to tell their stories. And so my wife would do the research, give me a one-pager, then I would choose specific ingredients to represent their lives. And so uh, you would, every single ingredient and every single decoration mattered uh, to them. And we we said, you know, you uh, these women were bold. Uh, they were often quite buxom. Uh, and... <laughs> They, and you knew exactly what you were getting. There was no nuance in this world. And so I decided that we were going to make our truffles instead of 0.7 ounces. They're an ounce and a half. Uh, they're big. They're buxom. Uh, the flavors, <laughs> I did it in the old European way. Um, where, I mean, it's like a 10-step process of infusion. And, um, and so in, you pick up a truffle from some of these other fancy places where they all look perfect. And... And you go, oh, champagne truffle. You have to read the thing to figure out what you're getting. Now, you didn't have to read any menu to know what you were getting with these ladies. So we basically made the flavors bold. Like if it was an orange-infused or, you know, liquor-infused of some sort, it got like six inches from your face and you knew. You knew. Right? So, amazing. And, and I think people like it. They're a little rough around the edges. Uh, that's why they're the people's choice. They never won the judges' awards. But I always won the People's Awards. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly the way we like it. Perfect. Because <laughs> as, as we're hearing, that's what matters to you. That's all that matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. I, we, yeah, you know, those women were judged, and I think that many of them were judged improperly, and so were our truffles. Wow. And so <laughs> is there a future in the uh, chocolatier business, maybe if Perrin weren't still kicking? Yeah. So the problem is we had, like, two horses in the gate that were ready to be released and only one rider. Um, and so that was the dilemma. So I, I taught my wife how to do the truffles and she tried to carry it on for another year and then I begged her to come join us here. And so we put that on hold uh, and we still own the URL and the trademarks and and uh, we will resurrect it one day. We have a dream, honestly, that uh, our retirement business is I would very much we, we've done a lot of volunteering and we would we would uh, donate to um, different types of uh, battered shelters for women in Boulder and Buena Vista and other places. And I, I grew up in a place with a you know abuse and PTSD in our family, and I, I know that how that ravages families. And so one of the things that we would love to do is to take that second step. We'd love to go to some of these towns, uh, you know, Fair Play where we lived and maybe Vail or other other towns and, and build uh, or buy a uh, turn-of-the-century uh, Victorian home, uh, put a cafe down below it, uh, make it a and b as well, and then have some rooms where we would take women from battered shelters. We would teach get them out of their current mm-hmm. situation. We would teach them a trade. Uh, we would coach them and, and while they're there and help them move on with their lives. And then, um, and, in, and you, of course, could have a chocolate spa and a B&B. And who wouldn't want to stay at the Chocolate Bordello? I mean, really. Um, exactly. We also have other ideas about the cafe. I mean, like I said, uh, when you go to a Bordello, you, I don't want to drag this down into a horrible place, but you go to a Bordello, you know what you're going to get. The menu is only variations on a theme, right? So in our thing, no matter what we would serve in that cafe, you would get chocolate on it, in it, or beside it, uh, because it's a chocolate Bordello, and that's yep. the one thing that you always get. So, um, yes, we have a lot of ideas. 
So it's but I have to put those away yeah. occasionally. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or uh, in the tech world, you put them in the parking lot. They are so they're for feature use. I've got a parking lot that I constantly have to expand the parking lot though, and wow. it's a it's actually a. I'm stacking the parking lot now, so I'm actually building a multi-level one in my head <laughs> for all my business <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Also, espresso and chocolate in your future. I can't think of two better things. <laughs> Throw a beach in there and I'm sold. So <laughs> every time that there's a recession, uh, alcohol and chocolate are the only things that go up in sales. Wow. They That's are recession proof. Right there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to ask another question about why you guys did a lot of traveling earlier on in your lives, mm-hmm. ended up in Russia. Why mm-hmm. Colorado? And why is Colorado a good place to start uh, a business like this? Yeah, that's great. So I, I've been to 32 countries, my wife probably 35, 36, and um, traveled all over the place. I lived in Georgia, France, Russia, Utah, California, um, and Arizona. And when... I wanted to start my own tech company, which was this one. I was my business partner was in Austin, and I had worked in Silicon Valley and in Utah, and, and had really no ties other than my wife's brother lives in Brighton. No ties to Colorado, and we had this cabin up in the mountains. And I said, "Well, let's just look at Denver." So this is seven and a half years ago, um, almost eight, and I started to go to some of these little tiny little meetups. And honestly, there was not much happening in the tech community eight years ago, seven years ago in Colorado. People think now, it's, oh, it's this wonderful tech hub. Right. But there was something unique about Colorado. You'd go to one of these little mixers and someone say, hey, what does your business do? I'm like, well, we're thinking about doing this. And they say, you need to meet this person and this person. That night, sometimes within an hour, I would get two warm email intros. Now... I've never seen that happen anywhere else. And if you, like, peek over someone's shoulder in a coffee shop in Silicon Valley, they close the lid of their thing because their idea is so wonderful that someone's going to steal it. They'd never open their Rolodex for you. Right. Um, other places are very cliquish. I, um, I like Utah. Um, I think Utah is probably a little less cliquish than it was, but it seemed that way a little bit when I was there. Austin has its own issues. Um, and there was just this sense of... Every, so many people in Colorado were transplants. And the, and the thing that I, that I kind of attribute the openness to is that I feel like people here have never forgotten what it's like to not know anyone. Hmm. And somebody helped them. And God bless that first person. Because somebody helped them get connected and feel like this was home. And they've been passing it forward ever since. And I myself feel an obligation. You know, if there's a young entrepreneur who says, hey, I have this idea, would you mind looking at my deck? I stop and I will set time and I will look at his pitch deck and I will talk to him and introduce him to people, right? If I think there's merit. So that's what I think is different about this place. And I mm-hmm. said, as long as that's true, as long as the government, education, workforce, and industry can talk, and seem to care about the same stuff, this is going to work out. And seven years later, it seems like, I, I guess right, uh, because this I would not want to be anywhere else, honestly. I think, yeah. I think Denver and Colorado as a whole, just throughout the whole state, is just a fabulous place to start a business, especially a tech business. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. This is such a helpful 
community here, mm-hmm. especially in the entrepreneurial community. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, you just uh, hit the nail on the head with regard to what we're doing with this podcast, uh, which I mentioned in the beginning, which we are building a uh, business community based on generous leadership and authentic connections. And that's, yeah. well, you just mentioned that. So Maybe that's why I'm on your podcast. <laughs> Somebody heard me say that before, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, this is uh, a perfect segue uh, into, you know, these are just, uh, these next questions are more about you personally. Mm-hmm. These are meant to be rapid fire, mm-hmm. uh, quick answers. If you can't, nothing comes to mind, uh, you can say pass. Mm-hmm. Um, totally fine. Matt, do you want to kind of run, yeah, let's, run us through this? Let's go through this kind of quickly. Sure. So, uh, name your hero. I don't believe in heroizing anybody. Um, I, I get proud of a whole lot of people and their actions. Um, I, I kind of think that word is very often uh, poorly used. Uh, so I typically don't use it myself. Okay. Cool. What about your favorite news source? Uh, somebody's mouth. Um, I think if you can go directly to where it is, I prefer that over anything. And, um, yeah, a lot of the other ones I don't trust. I'm a skeptic by nature. I think there a lot of our listeners are probably in that same category. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's your favorite book? That's a tough one. Uh, I, I, I can say any, I can give you an example. Uh, I love books that take me out of my, um, typical space and help me to think uh, tangentially. Um, so, uh, one of the examples like Wind, Sand, and Stars uh, by the author of The Little Prince, um, Antoine de Saint Exupéry. Um, it's a fabulous book. Uh, there's a quote in the back of that book uh, as he's sitting in this train in the middle of the East and he's looking at all these children and people in poverty and he says something to the effect of, um, do we have the next um, Michelangelo here um, that will never be realized because mm-hmm. of his circumstances? And is it that kid or is it that kid? I, I, I totally butchered that quote, but, but that's the gist of it, is that the potential in people and how is that potential held back uh, by their circumstances and how could it be released? It's how the book kind of closes. Um, stayed with me ever since. Wow. I mean, clearly yeah. you've built a company around yeah. finding those individuals. Yeah. It also segues into the next question, which is favorite quote. Would you say that is your favorite quote, or do you have another one? No, because I can't remember it exactly. So it would be wonderful <laughs> if I could remember it uh, exactly. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a quote. Um, I actually, usually at the beginning of the year, I always write on every single board. I'll, I'll sneak in, and I'll write quotes on everything. And, um, and there's this quote the actual person escapes me right now, but you know the problem with innovation isn't um, getting new ideas into your head, but getting old ideas out. Mm. And uh, I really think that is the um, biggest objective that I have to, you know, help people with internally and myself is to to set aside the this is the way it's done mm. because then you create margin, you create space. And the, the only thing, the only thing I believe that is required for innovation is space. Uh, but we, we fill it all the time. We fill it with words. We fill it with action. We fill it with beliefs, with 
our supposed intuition that we think is right. Um, if you take all that stuff away and you just listen and you just watch and you create the time for that, the innovative people will innovate. Wow. I'm uh, sensing a theme. Uh, one of our prior interviewees uh, practices meditation for the purpose of what you just yeah. said. It allows him to clear his mind mm-hmm. and create that space for creative ideas to, to show up. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, favorite technology? Anything that keeps me from doing the same thing twice. Uh, all about efficiency. Uh, I, you know, people always, you know, bitch about phones. And, uh, but I love the fact that I can do more than one thing at a time. I, I am a person who dresses while I brush my teeth, right? So I, I can't stand still when I do that. Um, I am the target market for smartphones. <laughs> Multitasker. I am a multitasker yep, for all it. things I do. You're lucky I'm not doing email right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, final question. Favorite way to unwind? Uh, first one, fly fish. I can get up to my knees in water. Um, I will completely abandon everything. That's the only time I don't think about work. Uh, I used to ride my bike, used to race, ride 400 miles a week. I thought about everything. It's so repetitive that you know you're out for five hours, six hours on a bike, and and I came back with a million ideas. You know, I'd always have to bring a pen and a piece of paper, and occasionally at a stoplight, I'd write stuff down. Um, I never do that fly fishing. Uh, I just am in another place. That's amazing. Where's the best place to go fly fishing? You would like to know. I do want to know. <laughs> keep it secret. Just <laughs> that perfect hole. Yeah. Nobody ever says. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have my spot. Yeah. yeah. Well, Michael, thank you very much for your time this morning and um, really sharing so much uh of your personal life with us and, uh, and your, your generous leadership. We appreciated the uh, interview here and, and uh, wish you the best. And before I forget, for those listeners that would like to learn more about Perrin, uh, yeah. and it's P-A-I-R-I-N, yeah. uh, can you share uh, quick contact information, best way to reach you? Yeah, you can send me an email at msimpson at perrin.com. And... Uh, yeah, uh, I'm from the South. We don't use unnecessary consonants since the ends of words. And so we kind of pair people to jobs and careers and coaching. So that's how parent came about. Great. Awesome. And we'll, with that, we'll call it a close. Thank you very much. Sure. My Thank pleasure. You.